Are we ready to roll? We're recording. All right, great. It's about the beer, but it's about more than the beer. Today's podcast episode is sponsored by Brass Clover, an Oak Park-based company that produces distinctively smooth craft cold brew coffee. Stay tuned to the end of this episode to learn more. Welcome back to That One Thing Podcast. I'm Gordon Fowler, and today's episode features A.J. Tendick, one of four owners of Bike Dog Brewing Company. A.J. and his partners, who are also friends and co-workers, opened the brewery as a side hustle in 2013. What started as a long-term plan and business that might one day turn into a retirement job has grown faster than the team could ever imagine. At just four years old, the brewery now has West Sac and Broadway locations, 16 employees, and beer that's sold throughout the region. Only one of the partners has taken a full-time status with the business so far, while the others have maintained their day jobs. I talked to AJ about the strategy and benefits behind keeping the business a side hustle despite its growing success and the realities of juggling a full-time day job and a personal side business. Along the way, we touched on some of the keys to Bike Dog's success. Besides the great beer and taproom experiences, they've taken a unique approach to their brand and have focused on doing good and treating people well while giving back to the community in unconventional ways. We started out by talking about how AJ and his partners got interested in beer brewing and where the idea for Bike Dog was born. So tell us about sort of how you got started. Like, were you always really interested in beer? Were you just like an avid consumer and figured, I'll do this on my own? Like, how did you get into into the business? You know, there's the people that are like, oh yeah, I was home brewing when I was like 16 yeah. and, and all this kind of stuff. I wasn't quite, I was a little more normal, you know. Didn't drink at all in high school, went to college. Had my first like garbage low alcohol macro lager and you know like eighteen or whatever and did the normal like MGD was a fancy beer in college and just drinking terrible sweet mixed drinks and then yeah which I have to say like if you can put an umbrella in it it's usually one of my favorites right well now yeah but back then it was not an umbrella it was like <laughs> Captain Morgan's and Grenadine yeah and got it Coke it was just syrupy gross uh, yeah and just kind of over time you know got exposed to stuff kind of slowly and then all of a sudden there was actually like some stores that you could buy stuff that was you know you couldn't see the, the like the big grocery chains and so I started just drinking more and more of that stuff just it was such an exploration of, yeah. of everything of brands and flavors and why is this one that way and a friend and coworker was homebrewing and had been homebrewing for years and I said hey can I just come over and watch this that looks really like interesting and yeah. I guess I had homebrewed a, I had like a kit in college so I did it on my stovetop one time but you know with great disaster <laughs> um, the beer was like drinkable but nothing remarkable by any stretch you weren't going to win any like awards yeah no and, and based on I mean the a lot of the homebrewing too is is like anything where you can do it really well or you can do it kind of poorly. And, you know, this type of kit was not something that was going to set you up to be successful. Plus, just didn't have the knowledge. But, yeah, so my coworker was homebrewing. I w- went over there and, like, homebrewed with him one day. And, like, I went home and whipped out the credit card and bought my homebrew kit. And we pretty much started homebrewing. And every other weekend, at his like, in his backyard, I'd bring all my stuff over. We'd start doing. And then just got more and more into it. Started buying my, more and more stuff. And then at the same time, my wife and another coworker, um, work at the same place as my wife, just like kind of spitballing around the water, proverbial water cooler, didn't actually have a water cooler, like, hey, what? we should open a barcade, and, you know, one year it was this, and, you know, whatever was kind of trendy or, like, I always I make the joke, I was like, whatever was cool in Portland, like, two years ago, they were kind of like, yeah, let's do that. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't quite literally that, but uh, Rafe, my partner, did go to school in Portland, so had some influence there. Uh, if you've been up there, like McMinimins, they do, like, they bought an old school and right. converted it, like, really cool, fun stuff that would be awesome that... You know, we still dream about it, I think, but 
don't have the resources to do that kind of thing, or maybe that's not what we're going to be good at anyway. But anyway, they would just spitball on this stuff, and then over the years, it kind of like turned into a craft beer bar because we were like all into good beer, and we were, and a couple of us are homebrewing. And my partner Pete, who I was homebrewing with, said, "Hey, well, if you guys are going to do that, we could like make our own couple house beers too." And just trying to keep our overhead low, it kind of rapidly turned into like let's just do a brewery. Um, I've been going to San Diego twice a year, and they just had a very different concept of breweries down there, which is now what we're seeing in Sacramento of this roll up the doors in a warehouse and people actually come to you and drink good yeah. beer. And and um, there was really nothing that existed like that when we started kicking this up here that really existed like that. But that's exactly what Track 7 did, you know, a year before we opened, a year and a half, something like that, and really kind of tested that concept here and really paved the way for us. But yeah, we sort of, like I said, just kind of got into that. And then we folded in our, our last partner, Sage, who's a graphic designer, which has been a boom, uh, boon for us. But he just had a passion. We all think have a passion for. Yeah, it's kind of a weird thing, like giving back to the community, being part, of, like raising the community. It's a weird concept, I think, uh, on its face that having a brewery somehow is giving back to the community. But really, we provide community space. We provide like beer as a social beverage. You know, people commune over good beer and stuff like that. So I think it still fits in a, in a way that like a restaurant or something else or a community hall, yeah. kind of a combination of those things. So a lot of us really had a passion for doing stuff like that and customer service type things and providing that space. So that's that's kind of the nutshell of how we got going. But the brewery kind of got fueled by the the desire to keep our overhead down. Because, you know, we sort of figured like, oh, well, 30 or 50 cents a square foot, a couple of, like 15, what do we have? No, 3,000 square feet, 2,500. Like, oh, well, worst case, if this really went belly up, we could pay that out of our pocket and yeah. like between the four of us and ride that lease out and, you know, like wash this <laughs> wash this mess away. And yeah, now it's just kind of, it's gone crazy. We had no idea four years from when we were getting gone that we'd be where we're at. If you think back to when you were sort of having the talk with like your wife and other coworkers, was there a moment where you were like, okay, this is it. Like, let's start penciling this out. Let's see what we can do to make it happen. And what was that? What sort of pushed you between the dream to say, okay, let's get real and make it happen? Do you remember that at all? Or You know, it was actually my wife's moment. I think she was the one that, and I don't know, so I don't know exactly what pushed her over the edge, but like from spitballing over the water cooler to like, let's put something in a spreadsheet. Let's like, let's see if this is actually feasible. And then that's kind of after that is when I really took over the reins of like, what's it cost to build out a brewery? What are your, what could our margins be? Because I had the background on the conception concept for the San Diego sort of thing. Do so you remember what you were feeling? Were you just sort of excited about it? Or were you like kind of nervous or sort of one way or the other? Because I always talk about starting your own businesses. I always feel like if the days of sheer exhilaration outweigh the days of sheer terror, like it's a good week, so, right? Yeah. So like seven days a week, if I'm like, oh, five exhilaration and two terror, I'm like, it's a really great week. It, it doesn't always go that way. Yeah, we're fortunate that we have we don't have too many terror moments. And we just had some like really early successes where it's like, it was more like, oh, holy shit, this is actually possible. Like, right. <laughs> this might work. When we had like an open house early and some stuff like that, it was just like, you know, I thought I was inviting like 20 friends and it was like 500 people there that day or something. I was like, holy smokes, um, you know, selling 100 T-shirts in a day. I was like, dang, I didn't think that was going to happen. So that was like some early kind of like remarkable, exhilarating moments. Um, but yeah, we're just a little risk averse and it's sort of like the side hustle thing is 
we never had a lot on the line in terms of like, I'm going to lose my, oh shit, I'm going to lose my house tomorrow. Right. Uh, need a second mortgage or anything crazy like that. So the terror has been moderated. It's more just like a weird self-doubt. How do you like practically maintain like your job and the work that you do every day? And then you have sort of this other job that you were doing. Like, how do you just juggle it all? And then what has that journey been like? Uh, it's definitely been a journey. Um, yeah, I listened to Rashawn over at Unseen Heroes, and yeah. he sort of had that like jump in moment. And you know, some people are just motivated differently, and some people need that. We could have done that. We've just always seen the benefit of like having cash back into the business, and without us taking salaries, we've been able to dump just almost all the cash right back into things. And you know, that's a lot of how we've gotten where we are. Um, so that's been important. It really depends on the year. It's been a struggle and, and where we're at and what we're doing. You know, at first we were really like literally doing everything. Right. Um, but we were only open on like Friday nights and Saturdays. And so there wasn't not a lot of overlap. And it was a pretty simple, small business. And, you know, Pete and I would brew on the weekends and we trade weekends. And then, you know, there's, there's four of us, which has been a blessing and a curse. Uh, the blessing is that we've got a, an awesome team of partners that have different skills and, We've been a workforce for, you know, the first years or whatever. And the curse is, though, now, like, trying to get all of us on board there. Now that we've grown the business, it's like, all right, now, how do we actually get, how do we make right. this a real? Um, I know it's a real business now. We've got 16 employees. But, um, yeah, it's it's been tough. And it, it depends on the years. Like I said, early on, it wasn't all that hard because it was pretty simple and it was on off hours and that kind of stuff. And there was a time where there was some growth and stuff where it was hard. It was just getting distracted too much during the day. Right. Um, and it was just really hard to do everything all at once. And then now I've sort of, oh, a couple of weeks ago, a month ago, I finally broke down. I was like, all right, I'm getting an iPad. I'm getting organized. It's like this writing myself a note or something to do later. Then it gets lost. And I just, uh, but that, that was a lot of it is like a lot of the stuff can be done at night and, and walk into the room, and make a quick phone call type of stuff. But just keeping it all organized and moving, I finally now had to get take that kind of digital plunge yeah. to get it, keep myself moving on all fronts, both at like at that's the thing. I was like losing stuff at home. Like right. my wife is awesome and she kept our kids uh, clothed and like, hey, we're doing this this weekend. Awesome, great. I will, <laughs> I will be there, but I was not planning that. So she's really gone above and beyond on the home front. But I just like I need to do better everywhere and just stop wasting time by being disorganized. So I've, I've started to now sort of get into that kind of a role too. So were there ever times where there were the things that you needed to get done at the brewery and you had like work deadlines, you know, going on and sort of how did you juggle that? Or have you found that you could sort of anticipate sort of the ebb and flow of doing both? I think the being unfocused there for a while <laughs> gave presented the opportunity at, at my day job to take a step back I was like managing kind of decent sized projects and that kind of stuff, but not necessarily getting, I didn't have the title to be doing that. So I actually, yeah. I took a step back, but it wasn't a demotion because I would never actually got the promotion, which has actually sort of been great. It's like I can bring my energy and I can really focus on the task level stuff and uh, bring my, I mean, I've got a lot of experience in, at that agency and, and doing the stuff that we do, whether it's Bike Month or, or other programs. Um, and let somebody else be the ultimate responsible one for it, and which is it worked out great. It gave somebody else a growth opportunity. It let me kind of step back and do what I was actually getting paid to do, and what I, I was like infinitely more happy doing it that way too. Good. So it's actually worked out. It's like it stalled my career <laughs> in, in one way, yeah, which was fine because I was sort of building another one. And at this point, I don't really know where I'm going in terms of a career path because, like I said, growing the bike dog thing is is tough, and with four partners getting us all there, it's how do you and and how big do we really want to be? But 
you know, I, I sort of have taken the stance of like, I'm not really, I'm growing a lot in, in the things I get to do, and I'm really happy doing the things that I'm doing, so I'm not really worried about a new title, or I'm in a really great place, so why, <laughs> why, why try to run up some ladder that doesn't really need to exist? Did you um, go through th- something, though, or sort of feel angst around, okay, now I'm not going to pursue this career ladder? Because I think it's really ingrained in people, like you start here and you work your way up, and then you make sort of this voluntary call, like, I'm going to stay here. Did you feel anything sort of around that, or was it a pretty easy decision to slip into? It was difficult in that I sort of took the step in the career growth at the day job and kind of fell flat. Just wasn't enough resources to support the role. I wasn't bringing enough to support the role. And somebody else sort of called me on it. And that was what sort of presented the opportunity. So I'm fortunate in that I had coworkers that were very like open and honest and uh, you know, didn't get fired because of it, but got sort of an opportunity to really like, you know. You can yeah. be successful. We want you to be successful. And it's like, yeah, okay, you're right. I'm not doing something that's making me happy, and this isn't working. Let's reevaluate this. So it was great to have that opportunity and have people, you know, coworkers that really kind of support each other. Are there things that you feel you can take from your work that you apply then to Bike Dog? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Either like learnings or an approach to something? Like, are you able to, and then does it go back the other way as well? Yeah, no, absolutely. Whether it's like social media stuff, or I went to um, Duarte in God, where were they? South Bay at the time. I think they've moved now for like presentation training stuff. But it's all about storytelling, and even if it's yeah. not like literally a PowerPoint thing, it's all about how are you telling your message, and that that applies more than just the presentations and stuff. So that's that's kind of gone back to the brewery now, and then you know event stuff kind of goes back and forth. Like, oh, we did this, this worked really well. People responded to this. Okay, well, let's do it the, at the other side. And so yeah, it's great that I I have a role that is roughly similar in both positions that I get to take that stuff back and forth. It's like a lifelong learning. And you said you have a designer that's on board that's now sort of your fourth partner, is mm-hmm. that right? And you're sort of known for like your swag, right? Like your t-shirts are not just Sacramento only hometown hero. Like like these t-shirts are being shipped pretty much worldwide. I remember you and I having a conversation like they were being sold in London or people are ordering them from there. Like yeah. what do you think the success is around that? You know, picking something that people relate to is—you know—it's great that they were—they're essentially relating to us, right? Because bikes and dogs yeah. and beer is us, but people love bikes and dogs and stuff like that, so they're like super stoked to wear that, and they like the logo. And um, but we've treated it in a way too, I think that's important. That's more than a logo, more than a beer company. Like we'd like to make stuff that just looks good, yeah. uh, and even if that means at the expense of like our brand awareness or like, you know, name awareness. Like we'll just put our the, the bike dog, like the I always call it the dog, even though it's really a half bike, half dog. We'll we'll put that dog logo on something and it'll be just that. It doesn't say bike dog on it anywhere. And yeah. that that's okay. Yeah. We're okay with that. I'm pretty stoked to see that logo out there. Or like Sage did um for beer release. It was beer week maybe. It was like this awesome kind of mountainy scene and like the dog was teeny. It was like, I don't know, an inch big, kind of buried in the design somewhere. That's okay. It was a really mm-hmm. great looking fun shirt that like I wanted to wear, like people wanted to wear. It's not just like slapping your label on a shirt or something, which is right. fine. And there's a, certainly a market for that. But like, I don't know, we just wanted to be a little more than that. And, you know, kids, you know, I take some responsibility for like not trying to market beer to kids, but like kids like dogs, kids like bikes. Like give them a shirt that doesn't say beer on it. Yeah. We have teachers that wear some of our shirts like on their Fridays or whatever today it is because it doesn't say brewing on it and they yeah. like the shirt. Like there's there's just more to it. Like and we're more like 
at our core, and we're very clear about keeping focused on this, like we're a brewery, we make beer, that's our focus. But we're more than that, right? We're a community space. We want to do like, you know, have that kind of thing going where people like you for more than just the beer. Um, And so, yeah, our our merch and stuff is kind of an extension of that. And it's important to us to to try to do everything that we're going to do, like do it well, don't half-ass things, like don't slap it on that thick, thick print on a beefy tee and, and <laughs> right. you know, put it up on the wall just because you you think you got to make a shirt or something. As a group, do you all make decisions together, the four of you, or do you have, do you sort of make decisions within your lanes, depending on what your roles and responsibilities are? We make a lot of decisions in our lanes. We're pretty good communication. We meet weekly and stuff um, to just keep thing, all these things moving and pretty respectful of our, <clears throat> our lanes, but also try to bring decisions to the group, like, I'm doing this. Does anyone have an opinion? No. Okay. Great. I'm, yeah. I'm doing it. Keep going. Or like you know the the beer mix and stuff like that. Like Rafe, uh, one of our partners. Like he's not a brewer. He's not the hugest beer nerd. But you know he it's, he's got 25. percent He gets an opinion too on some of this stuff. So yeah. we we try to make sure that everyone's engaged. But really, I mean, like I said, that's some of our strength is that we really have diverse skills that we're bringing to this, which has been a huge asset to our us as a company. Now that you guys are sort of up and running, it's been going for a while, you're now just recently expanded. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that. Why expansion, you know, number one? Because, right, because you always have a choice. You can just stay and try and get more efficient and, you know, make more money within with less overhead. So why did you decide to expand? We just knew there was another bigger market to kind of go into, and a lot of the reasons why we did, why we opened up the brewery and started small. I mean, other than just only having so much money, was just really the intimacy of it all. Like we wanted to the direct to consumer sort of thing of yeah, that's the only way you can do it, keeping all your margins, but also because we wanted to, we wanted to connect with people, we wanted to see the familiar faces, and not you know it's awesome i love our restaurant accounts and our bar accounts and i like working with those folks but it's a different like you talk to them on the phone or you see them real quick or whatever and you're not sharing your space with them and so we really wanted to expand that and serve more people we wouldn't be where we're at without selling's being next door like they really are the other anchor over there and uh, and so when the opportunity came it was like oh yeah this is perfect it's like midtown or midtown downtown adjacent because midtown downtown are awesome yeah but we're also not interested in being open at 2 a.m and kind of be in that scene we're more old family focused and uh lower key uh but then we're neighborhood adjacent too and so it's sort of the best of both worlds and we know broadway's are coming up and they're getting like a road diet in the next handful of years and you know 20 years from now there'll be a bridge to west sack and all this kind of stuff but it really was that like wanting to touch more people and then you know sell more beer of course too which is sort of this slow but long-term plan of getting more and more of us actually working there full time mm-hmm. um, so sage has already come over full time to manage the end of the broadway build out and now he's over there full time doing that um, and sort of like building building back up the bank account now we got tapped that a little bit making that happen sure um sort of making our next moves uh, but i mean that's always the thing for me is we're trying to work a little bit backwards now of how big do we need to be versus how big do we want to be now that Broadway's open, just sort of getting that run in and operating as smoothly as possible and uh, working more on engagement stuff, like events and, and fun stuff to do there. Are you finding that it's sort of doubled your time now or are there like efficiencies? Like how is it managing or having sort of both? Uh, well, it's nice that Sage is there full time now with the business. He's able to kind of tackle a lot of that day-to-day stuff, which has been a little bit of a learning curve too. Like, 
oh, you're you're like you know you think you can get so much done when someone's there full time, and there's so many small things that kind of just eat away. So we're still figuring that out too. Is um, how much big picture stuff can he do while still doing all the day to day? But we hired two great great people to help run that space. So that's been actually really good. So it hasn't been. Um, all that much work, really, for me at least. Uh, like I said, between Sage and those two managers, they're really doing the lion's share. I mean, I'm kind of fascinated because the model's different, right? Because usually you work up so that then the owners or the founders can then be there full time, and then down the road you hire employees. You guys really have flipped that, you know? I mean, so it's it's just a really different, interesting model that's clearly working. Yeah, you know, it's going to be different for everybody, right? But we all have, you know, college degrees. We all have careers that we're pretty deep into and we're making good money and have really amazing benefits. And mm-hmm. and to, to step away from that, it's like, yeah, we're all passionate about this, but we never, like from day one, wasn't like, oh, yeah, we're all going to like take 50% pay cuts to do this. Yeah. It was like, let's do this and kind of see what happens. And it's like a long play. Like, this is our retirement job. Uh, that's sort of grown grown a lot faster than we thought it was going to be. And so I was like, all right, well, it's let's... It's outpacing your retirement. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, all right, well, let's get some people over here then, I guess. So yeah, it's always been cheaper to hire somebody, and we've been fortunate that people have really engaged with us and are super passionate about our business and are really to like mm-hmm. throw themselves into it. Conversely, we try to be as absolutely respectful as we can for their time and their efforts and their, you know, you know, uh, Give them health care and, and benefits and days off and let them accrue PTO above the state required, you know, that kind of stuff. And and just kind of treat them well and and you know, they're they're engaging with us. We want to engage with them and really um, respect their contributions to the business. And you know, there's always more room and all that kind of stuff. And if there's more money, you could be Google and install mm-hmm. like a kitchen and all, you know, all sorts of stuff. But you know, try to treat people right. And that's, you know golden rule type stuff like how would we what would we like and how can we treat them and yeah. so yeah it, it, we like I said we've been fortunate we've had some really amazing people with amazing skills want to work with us uh, yeah they're they're into it and they're kicking butt well and but credit to you as well I mean you've created an environment where that happens yeah. and what I find is people really like working for a winning company however they define it in terms of either having market presence or understanding the growth and sort of where you guys are going to are going to land sort of in the whole ecosystem around mm-hmm. here. So I, mean, I think that's, you know, that runs both ways as well. Like many times that'll keep employees, I find team members like really sort of on track and motivated to do better because they like, everybody likes working with a winning yeah. organization, however, sort of however you define it. Um, so shifting gears just a little bit, I want to talk about how you guys got started in terms of your crowdfunding model because I thought that was really Interesting. Kickstarter was definitely kind of getting to be a bigger deal back then, and there were some breweries using it. And so we were sort of tracking that, and it was like, hey, look, there's some there's some money to be had there to help us out because we we got started with all cash out of pocket, yeah. like savings account sort of thing, no no credit cards, no whatever, no loans. And it wasn't the difference between opening or not; it was how well we opened and right. like what kind of furniture did you have or not furniture or whatever. But we quickly sort of decided that the established kind of Kickstarter. I forget who else there was at the time. Models weren't really us. They were, you know, the power of the internet platform didn't actually help us. Like we weren't trying to sell a pint glass to somebody in New York to help give us $5 or whatever. Like we really wanted people that were invested at a higher level and locally. Like we wanted them to be our norms, like from from day one. And so that's what we, so we ended up just running our own thing through social media and emails and, um, 
you know, it's great having Sage on board because he he knows enough web stuff to be dangerous to like set up, you know, like all you need is a couple buttons on a PayPal link or whatever, yeah. but a lot of people can't figure that out. Um, got that all set up. So we, we re- really ran it ourselves, um, kind of mimicking some of the other stuff. But yeah, we, we took all the, the money in ourselves and, you know, saved a little bit of money in processing fees. But, you know, Kickstarter at the time, you, you couldn't do alcohol. I don't, I don't know what they're doing now, but... That was what we wanted to do. Like I don't want, like I said, I didn't want to sell a pint glass to somebody in New York. I wanted yeah. to like get somebody engaged, uh, you know, at the higher level. People got their name on a stool, like, and they're still there. Like their names are still there uh, four years later. Like we wanted them to be our best friends from day one. Like feel like you own the place, even though you don't. Yeah. Um, so it was really about, and, and we've we've done this over and over again now on an annual thing. That's changed a little bit, but it's basically like you know you come in every week and you get a growler fill and a beer. That's effectively prepaid because you don't get free things with the ABC. It's not free beer; it's prepaid, uh, but it feels like it's free because you've already paid for it. Yeah, um, and they're, they're like our best customers. We see them regularly, and we give them benefits like coming in early and skipping the lines and and stuff like that. That they feel like they own them. We throw them a party that like is, you know, no holds barred. If they want five beers, they're gonna have five beers. Like we don't even care. Like yeah, well, we we care. We want to make sure that we make sure they get home safe. But it's not right. about collecting money from them all the time. It's it's about treating them like our our best customers. So you've really created a VIP experience <clears throat> for yeah. them. So how does it work? They can invest annually sort of at, or prepay as sort of like part of a member's Yeah, we, we call it our league. Um, and so it's changed a little bit where the, the first year was definitely heavily like donation to the business sort of scaled. Like, you know, $1,000 got you a stool and all these other kind of benefits. Where now it's just like everybody for $450 gets like the best growler you can buy in terms of hydroflask and double walled and all like really nice and a really nice double walled insulated pint glass mm-hmm. that only the league people get. So it's super exclusive. Uh, they get a T-shirt that only the league people get, um, which are always super nice um, and fun and different. Uh, and then really, it's a focus on the beer. Like they get a growler fill a week and a pint a week, um, which is always interesting. You figure like, all right, people are going to get a pint while they wait for the growler fill, and that's their Friday night ritual or Thursday, whatever it is. But we actually have people that are like so regular. They'll come in Thursday for their pint and then come back Friday with their spouse <laughs> or something and get their growler fill yeah. and another pint or like whatever. Um, that we'll actually see them a couple times a weekend. And like, it's always nice too when it's not like in the like very European, it's just kind of the, the hub of the community and they're right. not there getting sauced every night. It's like, no, they had a beer and they took off and right. we said hi to them and that was their social hour. And, and that's what, you know, it really makes us smile at the end of the day where it's, it's about the beer, but it's about more than the beer. But I mean, it's so interesting because it seems like you're doing two things at once. One is you're very focused on beer. Like, that's what the specialty is. But really, secondarily, it's about community and building connections and having conversation. And, like, one feeds the other sort of, right? Mm-hmm. So back and forth, they're, like, really feeding each other. Yeah. I think it's really, really interesting because as much as you talk about beer, you talk about the experience that you want people to have with beer. Yeah. And I know with me, I find that people that are really successful um, in terms of achieving sort of the business quality of life that they've set out, because everybody has a different quality of life they want to achieve through their business. But those that are really successful, like very, very much understand what their niche is. So just, and this has really been amazing. So like, I think two questions as we wrap it up. One is, what do you see the future for beer and beer enthusiasts in Sacramento? Like, you know, if you're sort of projecting out, like what do you, what does it look like for Sacramento? Um, You know, we're starting to see some kind of busts, but I think there's still in a big growth cycle. 
um, and a conversion. There's, uh, I forget what the, the numbers are off the top of my head, but it's like less than 20% by volume or by, by dollars is craft beer market. So there's still a huge, and, and the big Budweiser guys are, Budweiser as a brand is dying. Bud Light still goes crazy, but Budweiser, the beer is dying. And so, you know, people are moving to other things. It's not always craft beer, but they're moving to other things. So there's still a huge room for growth, but there's going to be some busts and it's going to be more and more focused on like, who's doing it right? Can't just tilt up a brewery anywhere and like, it's going to work. Um, so we're going to see some more failures, but we're going to see a lot of successes, both on the brewery side, but I think also on the retail side, people are up new bars, new restaurants, new focuses. So yeah, I think I think there's still, like, Sacramento's a great market and it's always been a great market for craft beer. Now it's going to be local beer. So it's just, I think we're going to see improvement both in the quality and in the selection um, and variety and stuff that you can go to. So it's, it's a, it, I have a very positive outlook. It's just, you got to do it right. And that's yeah. what we hope we're, we're doing and we'll be part of that. So final question around sort of you and Bike Dog and its growth. I always like to think about businesses, business success being in terms of as the owner or founder, identifying the quality of life that you want and then having your business built to support that. So what does that look like for you and for your business? You know, it, I really like what I do and actually both of my jobs. And so a lot of times it's still work. There's always things you don't love and you do, but most of the stuff I do for Bike Dog, I really enjoy uh, either the process or the result of it. And I love people. And in a lot of ways, I sort of have that balance. I wish we had a little better vision and plan for where we're headed so I lost less sleep over that. That's the thing that kind of kills me. And, you know, I'm sort of coming to terms. I think that's just sort of how it is uh, yeah. to a certain degree. But, yeah, no, I'm, I'm in a really good place right now in terms of balance. Like, I have two young kids that are a blast. I get to spend time with, I, you know, and I, again, this has changed over the years. Like, when my son was pretty young, I was doing a ton of bike dog stuff, and I wasn't around a ton. Uh, it's like, no, I'm... Pretty much, I don't miss a lot of dinners. I don't miss a lot of bedtimes. That's great. Uh, you know, and I go do a lot of stuff on the weekends. I work late to doing stuff on my iPad and computer. And I don't know, I'm, I'm actually kind of at that point where I'm pretty happy. And, you know, it'll change in a year or two. They're like, oh, yeah, no, I really do need a vacation now. Or like, yeah. like and not with the kids. Because we went to Disneyland and that wasn't a vacation. No. Um, yeah, no, I, I mean, it's so, it's so important, though, to, I think, think about that when you're starting. Because... Of course, you're going to work your ass off and maybe not take a vacation for five years, but like have that expectation and know that you're going to yeah. do, or know that like have the goal. It's like, all right, now I in, I need this in three years or whatever, whether it's money or time off or or something. Anything that you wish you'd said that we you didn't say or that you think would be beneficial to people listening? You know, I I think I sort of talked a lot about this with our with our staff, but I think for us, like and me in particular, but. Be good to people. Yeah, uh, it's it's a small town, and so this is your people. This is the people you work with, right? Like, but just in general, like be be good to people, right? Like you and I might not ever trade money back and forth because we're doing business with each other, but but why not be good to each other, right? Yeah. Like, there's there's just there's value in relationships, and particularly in this in this town. But you know, it just breeds good uh, goodwill, and like I said, I want the people working for us to be happy and taken care of, and. I want to be good to them, and so they're good to us. And so, yeah, I don't know, it's a little golden rule there, but um, yeah. No, I love that. And I I mean, I think the more that we are good to people, the more people are good. And that's what we want in this region anyway, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would like to be known for us being a region filled with good people versus other regions of the country that have their own reputations, perhaps. Yeah, I don't know. There's, I see too much of the news of just, 
life in general. It's like there's too much divisiveness and whatever. And that's one of the beautiful things about beer is, you know, a lot of people, before they have too many beers, can have a really intelligent conversation. And it can be about things you don't agree about, uh, but have a conversation. And, and a lot of times you are agreeing on stuff. Yeah. But that's the beautiful thing about beer is, um, and, you know, our past president, like, made a big deal about, like, sharing a beer with two people that, you know, maybe weren't seeing eye to eye. And it was like, oh, that was a cool gesture. So, yeah, you know, be good to each other. doesn't matter if you like them or not. Yeah. Great. Great advice. Thank you. I think what I find most interesting about AJ's experience is his perspective and approach to keeping his day job while growing his side business and the ways that he scaled each job to make that possible. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope this episode sparked that one thing for you that you can apply to your day, your life, or your business. Today's sponsor is Brass Clover, Sacramento's first craft coffee company dedicated to producing the highest quality cold brew coffee in the market. I thought I'd invite Landon, our art director, in to talk about coffee because, as everybody knows, creatives love their coffee. Welcome, Landon. Thank you. That's right. Yeah, Brass Clover is best known for their flagship nitro cold brew coffee on draft. Their coffee goes through a nitrogen infusion process to enhance and heighten flavor and create that signature creaminess in those brass-colored layers. Brass Clover produces bottled cold brew coffees, including the first-ever session cold brew coffee. Their roast-to-bottle process guarantees their coffee is brewed, filtered, and packaged within 24 hours. So what's next for Brass Clover? Brass Clover is launching their canned coffee and tea beverages this year, including Northern California's first canned nitro cold brew coffee and nitro cold brew tea. You can currently find their craft coffee beverages at more than 30 local restaurants, at breweries, grocers, and retailers throughout Greater Sacramento. That's right. And if you want to learn more and find a location near you, just go to BrassClover.com.